Hi, my name is Lindsay and I'm a member here at Restored Church. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. We believe that church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love to offer the opportunity to connect with you. I'd love to be saying this in person, but circumstances have us doing otherwise. So if you'd like to learn more about our church or we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.restoredtemecula.church. And then you can just click on contact there. We also have a mobile app with resources, including the Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app at Apple and Android app stores. With that said, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the message. It's great to be with you all this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tom. I have the privilege of providing uh, leadership to the church as lead pastor um, on the eldership with my wife, Ebony, and the incomparable Herrick and Heather Berga. Just want to introduce myself. I see a couple new faces. Want to make sure that, uh, yeah, that we get to meet each other. I, I'm funky this morning, guys. This is so weird for me. Like, I, this is going to be a unique morning. Uh, I cr- it's crazy. Like the day's here, and uh, it, it, yeah, I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me start my timer here. Uh, yes, I will definitely need a group hug. Um, so yeah, so my family and I, we, we start a, a three-month sabbatical after gathering today, uh, basically June 6th through September 6th, and um, I'm just going to kind of go into the preach, okay? It's not really a preach, it's more of a pastoral address, but more on that in a minute. What we're going to do over the summer is we're actually going to pause the King and His Kingdom series. So we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew with a lot of intentionality to really investigate um, the King of the universe, Jesus, and His kingdom. And so as rich as as the series has been, we're not getting rid of it. We're just pausing it for the summer. Um, And what we're going to do is today, actually, we're going to start a new series that will take us all the way through the summer, all the way through the sabbatical, uh, entitled Summer in the Psalms. You like that alliteration? Uh, is, it, is it still alliteration if they start with different letters? There's a, bit, there's a heated debate, you know, there's a heated debate. Uh, either way, Summer in the Psalms. Now, if you're not familiar with the Psalms, uh, basically what the Psalms are, the book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. It's a collection of 150 songs, S-O-N-G. Um, I say songs because essentially what the psalms are is they're poems, so the written word poems, that were accompanied by music. So essentially ancient songs, okay? Uh, Really what the book of psalms is, is it's an ancient prayer and hymn book that the people of God have been accessing for really thousands of years, all right, And one of the cool things about the book of Psalms, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited that we're going to be journeying together with this, is they cover a really broad range of human experience. So there are songs of praise. There are psalms of lament, which is like just crying out sadness, right? There are songs of celebration. There are psalms that deal with fear. There's psalms that deal with depression and worry and beauty and wisdom and peace And the list goes on and on and on. In Christmas 2007, my then-girlfriend, Ebony Rivera, 
She's around, there she is. Uh, in 2007, that Christmas, this was two years before we got married, she kind of coordinated with a bunch of friends and family and to get me a, a really unique gift that Christmas. The very first original iPhone, okay? Did anybody else in the room have the original OG, like, yes, okay? Let me see your hands. I want to see how many people, actually. A handful of us, okay? That was the beginning of the end of the downfall of, of human civilization. <laughs> we all participated in that. I'm with you. But that original iPhone, I remember being like, you can touch and pinch to Zoom. Like it was this crazy, amazing, you could check your email on your phone. It was wild. It was crazy. Now, one of the things uh, with that original iPhone, those of you that had it, do you remember, it did not have the app store on it. So you were, you were stuck with the, the apps that were already on the phone. All right? So you... Bear with me. There was a day <laughs> when you were limited. Your app, your app selection was limited. There was no app store, okay? There was absolutely no app store. And I remember when the app store finally launched, and then it was like the iPhone started taking over the world. Everything changed because you could literally get an app for anything. Uh, I wanted to play a commercial from back in the day about the app store. If you guys have that video, will you cue it up? Uh, tell me if it sounds familiar. Is that if you want to check... Oh, start it. Wait, start it up. Start it up. Start it up. If you can't start it over, because you've got to hear it in the beginning. There we go. Oh, different ones. What's great about the iPhone... There we go. ...is that if you want to check snow conditions on the mountain, there's an app for that. If you want to check how many calories are in your lunch, there's an app for that. And if you want to check where exactly you parked the car, there's even an app for that. Yep, there's an app for just about... Anything, only on the iPhone. iPhone 3G. Whatever you need, there's an app for that. Did you like, like the old school graphic design and stuff? That was cutting edge at the time, okay? Cutting edge. Whatever you need, there's an app for that. Hear me. Summer in the Psalms. The book of Psalms is like an app store for your soul, okay? Whatever you're going through. The good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs. There really is a psalm for that. Um, you know when you go to the doctor, maybe you're, you have a physical ailment or something, you go to the doctor, you, you, you disclose your physical ailment, and what does the doctor typically do? He typically writes you a prescription for medication. And it's not just some crazy random pill. If it is, you need to get a different doctor. Usually, typically, ideally, it's a prescription with specific medication for exactly what your physical ailment is. Listen, the word of God, it's better than medicine for your soul. It really is. Because it has the power not just to heal, but it has the power to mend. I mean, God, God's word literally like created the universe, right? Right? His word has the power to heal. It has the power to mend. It has the power to refresh. And it even has the power to, to reorient the deepest parts of your soul. Whatever you're going through, there's a psalm for that. That's one of the reasons why I'm so excited for the journey that this summer is going to be of exploring the psalms together. Uh, 
theologians have referred to the Psalms as a spiritual treasury. Do you guys know what a treasury is? Bingo. It's a place where treasure is stored. That's literally what I have written in my notes. Well done, Mark. So this summer will be a summer in the Psalms, a summer of accessing the treasure that's found inside, okay? You're going to hear from Herrick. You're going to hear from other lead pastors in the restored family of churches. You're going to hear from some gifted teachers within our, our, our church family here. I'm really excited for this one, okay? So this morning, I'm going to kick off this series in, in, in Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible, you go ahead and grab that, open it up to the Psalm 139, it's going to be right in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have the words on the screen for you. While you're flipping there, I just want to give you guys the heads up. This is really going to be a different morning, uh, a different kind of message specifically. The morning is going to feel similar, but the message component is going to, is going to feel a little bit different. Uh, I think I already mentioned this. This is less of a sermon and more of like a pastoral address. Okay, so if you're new with us, typically we will just deep dive into the scriptures. Uh, this is more of a familial gathering just because uh, leaving on sabbatical and all that, and I want to I wanna have some intentional time here to address you. Well, basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you what the next three months is going to look like for me and my family. And I'm also going to share with you what I hope it looks like for you. Okay? So I'm going to use Psalm 139 uh, as kind of our guide so I'm going to pray before we jump into God's word. You guys doing okay? Yeah? Wonderful. Let's pray together. Um, God, thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're doing among us. Thank you for the ways that you bring people into your family. Holy Spirit, I pray uh, that you would teach us this morning. Um, I pray that you would uh, show us some things in your word this morning. I pray that you would help me clearly communicate. And I pray that you'd kind of begin to, I don't know, maybe, maybe sow some seeds or lay, lay the groundwork for a really rich summer for all of us as individuals and as a church family. So we look to you now, God. Let me pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Psalm 139, famous psalm, okay? Uh, written by David. You, chances are you have, you have heard some, of the portion, some portion of this psalm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be familiar, I would, I would bet. So Psalm 139, we're gonna read, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to really hone in on two verses, but I'm going to read the whole thing because, man, this psalm is rich, all right, starting in verse one, I'm in the Christian Standard Bible translation. Let's roll. It says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know about it, Lord. You have encircled me. The language there is like a besiege, like, like a, you know, you, a city's laid siege and you gather all the way around the city. That's what, that's what that language is. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Some translations say fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. He's referring to the womb there. When I was formed in the depths of the earth. Again, illustrations of, illusions of the womb. Verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. And then here, look at verse 23 and 24. This is where we're going to camp out most of the day. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. All right. If I could sum up this sabbatical, the purpose of the sabbatical, it's these last two verses. To be searched by God and to be led in the everlasting way, okay? Here's how that's gonna play out. I'm gonna get really practical with you. This is basically what I'm gonna be focusing on, what my family and I are gonna be focusing on um, for, for this sabbatical. We put that first slide for me, guys. It said it's like agenda for sabbatical. Should be slide one. All right. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. I have four R's for me and for you. Uh, this is the agenda for the sabbatical. Rest, recognize, repent, and rejoice. Now, I'm going to kind of break these down because I want you to understand what, I'm gonna be, what we're going to be giving ourselves over to. Uh, these four R's are progressive. And by that, I mean like, Rest catalyzes recognizing. Recognizing catalyzes repentance. Repentance catalyzes rejoicing. You with me? They're progressive. All right? Uh, so go ahead and go to that second slide for me, Sam. Let's talk about rest, okay? When I, talk, when I speak about rest, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about basic functions and beauty. When I say, when I say basic functions, I'm literally going to be focusing on basic functions. Eating, sleeping, maybe a little bit of play, really basic functions. Focusing on that and also on beauty, geographical beauty, creation, right? Uh, the beauty of, of really uh, close, intentional time with family, art, music, literature, and the, the epitome of beauty, God himself. When I talk about rest, I'm talking about focusing on basic functions 
and beauty, okay? I'm talking about rest for our mind, our body, and our soul. Now, there's a goal here, right? The goal here is that we would regain some of our strength. Um, it's been 16 years of full-time ministry for, for me and Eb. And it's been incredible, it's been beautiful, but, you know, as you can imagine, you, uh, you, start, to, you start to lose some of your strength over time. All right? So the goal here is to regain our strength and to regain awareness. Last month, uh, we were coming home from Mexico, flying home from Mexico, and we're in the airport terminal about to fly home, and I'm on the phone with Herrick. And we're having a fairly important conversation and catching up on some things. And I'm in the middle of this, air, of this airport terminal, and there's people everywhere. I mean, hundreds of people, if not thousands of people. Okay, And as you can imagine, they're all talking at the same time indoors. And so I'm on the phone with Herrick and we're chatting and probably happened like four times. He's like, hey man, I'm just having trouble hearing you. Like I can't, I can't really make out what you're saying. I can barely hear you. It's just so loud there. There was literally hundreds of competing voices in that airport terminal. All right? Hear me. It's a picture of our life sometimes. As life gets louder, hearing God's voice can become more difficult. You with me? The past 16 years for me and my family have been incredible. We've watched God do amazing things. It's been incredible, but it's been intense. Multiple church plants in different cities, major transitions. Uh, Dude, the last two years for all of us have been, uh, felt like a decade, (laughs) It's been, it's, been, it's been intense. It's been loud, if you will, okay? And again, the louder it gets, the harder it can be to hear God. So when I talk about rest, I'm talking about turning down the volume, all right? In order to hear God more clearly, less competing voices. Here's what I don't mean when I talk about rest. And I think this is something that... Uh, that kind of the Western world approaches rest this way. Like, I'm not talking about filling our time with a a bunch of entertainment. I'm not talking about, like, overstimulation. I mean slowing way down. Something that we're actually really bad at, I feel like, as a culture. Slowing way down, turning down the volume. And again, remember, these four R's, they're, they're progressive, okay? Rest leads to a, a second R, which is actually where I'm gonna spend a lot of our time this morning. If you can go to slide three for me. It's recognize. There it is, recognize. So this is basically using rest as like a catalyst to recognize. I'm, I'm basically, the goal here is to look to God to highlight different areas that he wants to bring redemptive order in our life, all right? Not just me, but my entire household. So this would be like um, try, looking to God to highlight different areas of brokenness that he wants to heal in men, different areas of sin, like heart idolatry, like, like you're just like me. We, we tend to look to things to provide us with things that only, provide us with, with what only God can provide us with. That's the idea of an idol. It can be anything. It can be even good things like kids or family or job or whatever, right? Looking to things to provide you with which only God can. 
So looking to God to, uh, to highlight different areas of brokenness, different areas of sin and heart idolatry, but most importantly, highlighting God's grace, his goodness, his provision, his blessing, his, his forgiveness, his love, right? His grace. So I want to recognize those things. Uh, like I said, um, last month, me and Ebony were in Mexico. And what we try to do, we don't do it every year, but what we try to do, we attempt to do is every year on our anniversary, we, we, we try to go to Mexico. We honeymooned in Mexico, so it, it's like, let's try to keep this tradition going as much as we can. Some years, for whatever reason, we just can't make it work. We can't make it happen. Um, but this last year, we were able to make it happen. And we went to Cancun. And the cool thing is it was, the, it was the first time that we had been back in 13 years. We celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary. So it was the first time that we had been back in Cancun for 13 years, really since our honeymoon. And the reason that we wanted to go back to Cancun was one, to keep the kind of Mexico tradition going as much as we can. But if you've ever been to Cancun, the beaches are just glorious, okay? Like beautiful, crystal clear, turquoise, like the whole thing. And the goal, honestly, was to for like a few days to lay by the beach. If we get a little hot, get up off of our chair, get in the ocean, cool off, go back to the chair, hang out, read a book, pray, connect. That was the agenda. And those beautiful beaches are just, man, they're, they're wonderful. So that was the goal. We really wanted to enjoy the beach. We put up slide four. It should be a beautiful picture of a beach. This is, this is what Cancun looked like 13 years ago. As you can, like, just spectacular, okay? Wonderful. So that's what we're, that's what we're going to enjoy. Um, and we show up, and this is what Cancun looked like uh, last month. You can go to the next slide. Yeah. The beaches have been devastated. Kind of a different vibe, huh? Yeah. These beaches have been devastated. And it's not with like a foreign toxic substance like oil or, or sewage or anything. It's with a natural substance. Can you tell what that is? It's seaweed. It's seaweed. It's called, it's a specific kind. It's called uh, sargassum. All right? So it's a result of uh, rising ocean temperatures that then causes the seaweed that's out in the ocean to die. And then when it dies, it starts to wash up on the shore. And when I say it washes up on the shore, literal metric tons of it every day. So what was once some of literally the most beautiful stretches of beach on the planet has become this like gross disgusting, like tragedy. And here's the thing, it doesn't just look gross, it smells gross. It's stinky. <laughs> like it really, and so what the resorts do is they hire these teams of people, these, these workers, to come and remove as much of this stuff every morning as they possibly can. Go to that next slide, it's the one with the tractor. So you can kind of see the scale, right? These guys are going up and down the beach, removing as much as they can of this and hauling it away every day. And they can only make a little bit of a dent. Like it was, you could see, like he's already moved past. And if you look to the, the tractor's right, you still see a bunch of seaweed. They're getting what they can. They're doing the best they can, right? They did this every single morning. But here's the thing. It didn't fix the problem. 
Like the seaweed still showed up every single day. Hear me. Sin and brokenness, it's a lot like the seaweed. It's natural. Like it's within us and it's only a matter of time until it makes its way to the surface and washes ashore. And it's oftentimes not very pretty. And here's the thing, there, like no amount of cleanup is gonna solve the issue. It, there's not amount of tractors that could haul it all away. Honestly, guys, it was a bummer. Like it was, we, we, we made the best of it. We enjoyed each other's company. We, you know, chilled by a pool and all that, but it was a bummer. Like, like I said, all we wanted to do was enjoy the beach. But here's what's crazy. You could tell, like, the longer people stayed at the resort, the more they got used to it. So, you know, if you've ever stayed at a hotel or a resort, um, any, like, kind of vacation destination, after a couple of days, you start to kind of see the same people. You know, you recognize their face. They're out there on vacation, too. People started to get used to this. On day one, everyone's shocked. It's gross. It stinks, Right? But on day three, for some people, it started to become normal. I had a conversation with the resort staff. I was like, man, this is so sad. Like, what, what's up with the beach, you know? And, and one of the people at the front desk was like, yeah, it's really sad. You know, it's, a, it's really sad. But you get used to it. And I remember being like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't get used to that. Like, but then I saw it play out. She was totally right. I saw it play out, like, over time, I started to see couples that were there, whether they're on our anniversary or vacation together. I saw the couples, like, after, you know, day two or day three, start to kind of go for the romantic walk on the beach together, you know, even though it was totally stinky. On multiple occasions, I even saw people swimming in it. Over time, this may become the new normal for, for Cancun, but hear me no matter how much time goes by, this will never become right. It may become normal, but that doesn't make it right. It isn't the way those beaches are supposed to be. They're in decay. I mean, literally. And if, hear me, and if the root cause, if, if the root cause isn't addressed, it's just gonna continue to be gross. Hear me. The same is true of your life and of my life. If we don't give proper attention to the condition of our soul and the ways that sin and brokenness pollutes our life and the lives of others, what we'll do is we'll start to redefine that pollution as normal. And hear me, it may become normal, but that doesn't make it right it's not the way things are supposed to be. It's not the way you were created to live. It's not the way I was created to live. It's not the way those beaches were created to be. You know what Cancun does not need? Cancun does not need more tractors to haul that stuff away, right? What Cancun needs, there needs to be a cleansing on the inside. There needs to be a cleansing on the inside instead of just managing what washes ashore. So when I talk about us giving ourselves to that second R of recognizing, <clears throat> when I say that, that, that recognizing is one of the main things that we're going to be doing on sabbatical, that's what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about recognizing some of the sin and brokenness in me. Maybe that I don't see right now. Maybe that's become normal over time that needs the cleansing power of God's grace. Make sense? Good. There's more. There's more, okay? It's not just the sin within me. In Daniel chapter 1, it tells a story of the Israelites, right, the people of God, and they're living as captives in Babylon. Some of you know this story, right? So they're, 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 they're living as captives. They're in exile in Babylon, and they're under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you've heard of him. Crazy king, okay? Now, I want you to think of the Babylonians. They're like the world's superpower at the time, okay? Uh, who do you think the world's superpower is today? Okay. I just want to see where you're at politically, that's all. Just trying to divide the room. No big deal. Regardless of who you think it is, you know what it means to be the world's superpower. Okay? The Babylonians were the world's superpower at the time. And hear me, how they would conquer was actually pretty brilliant. All right? What they would do is they would invade a city, either by siege or whatever. They'd invade a city, and they'd give you one of two options. Death or captivity. Most people would choose captivity, okay? Now, when I say captivity, I mean that you'd live in exile, okay? So just track with me. I'm not going to make a, this isn't a political uh, statement, but just as a hypothetical situation. Imagine China invades America, all right? China invades America. They come, they give you one of two choices. You opt not for death, you opt for the captivity piece. Then they take you captive, You still might be on American soil, whatever, but you are, at that point, you would be an American in exile under Chinese rule. You with me? Okay, put yourself in that position. Here's why the Babylonian strategy was so brilliant. Okay, instead of just, you know, attacking and then killing all the other nations, over time, they would take you captive, right? And over time, their captives would assimilate. By assimilate, I mean instead of them being killed, they would be immersed in Babylonian culture, all right? They would be immersed in in the Babylonian language. They'd learn it. It'd start to become their language. They'd be immersed in Babylonian literature, in Babylonian, their diet, their customs, and those captives would assimilate to the Babylonian way of life. So get the picture. See where this inevitably leads. Over time, the captives and their children essentially became Babylonians. They assimilated. Are you getting the picture? So you have Daniel, right? He was an Israelite in captivity to Babylon. He was was an exile. And if you know Daniel's story, you know he's famous for several things. One of the things he's really famous for is what we see here in Daniel chapter 1. It's known as the Daniel fast. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. It's Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, I'm actually going to read out of the New Living Translation, so, so you can follow along up here. Check this out. <clears throat> starting in verse 3. Then the king, what's his name? Nebuchadnezzar. Ne- oh, close. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, right? Then King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. Judah's a tribe of Israel, okay? 
to bring some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon, to Babylon as captives. Verse 4. This is what the king says. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. So basically all of our youth men. He said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Okay, here comes the strategy for assimilation. Okay, get this. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. But there's more. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. So food fit for a king. We're talking about the best food. We're talking about the best wine. All right? And it says they were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Again, tribe, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse seven, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Okay, we have even more attempts at assimilation. We're actually gonna change your name too. You're gonna have a Babylonian name. Daniel was called Belteshar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Verse eight, listen to this. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. For the sake of time, I'm going to kind of summarize, okay? So Daniel and his friends, they end up eating only vegetables and water. So they they avoid the amazing food and wine that King Nebuchadnezzar offers them. Why would anyone ever do that? Let me read you a quote um, from one Bible theologian. I think it should be slide nine, guys. Yeah, check this out. Quote, why would they do that? Quote, Daniel and his friends avoided the luxurious diet of the king's table as a way of protecting themselves from being ensnared by the temptations of the Babylonian culture. They used their distinctive diet as a way of retaining their distinctive identity as Jewish exiles, and listen, and avoiding complete assimilation into Babylonian culture, which was the king's goal with these conquered subjects. With this restricted diet, they continually reminded themselves, listen to this, in this time of testing, that they were the people of God in a foreign land and that they were dependent for their food, indeed for their very lives, upon God, their creator, not King Nebuchadnezzar, end quote. So the Daniel fast was a way for Daniel to resist assimilating to the ungodly culture around him. All right, hear me. He restricted himself, not of necessarily bad things. He restricted himself in order to protect himself. You get in the picture. Okay, hear me. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are living in exile just like Daniel every single day of your life. And so am I. You and I are living in an ungodly culture. No matter where you move on the earth, no matter where you live on the earth, you are living amongst an ungodly culture. 
And hear me, if we are not intentional about our resistance, it's only a matter of time until we assimilate. To assimilate to an, to an ungodly culture is to forfeit the kingdom of God, friends. What you were created for, both now and forever. So Daniel, his strategy, he's, it's brilliant. It's spirit-led. His strategy was to restrict himself in order to protect himself from assimilating to ungodly culture, okay? To be in Babylon, but not Babylonian. Does that sound familiar, right? The, the, the kind of cliche, common Christian phrase, be in the world, but not of the world, right? It's essentially the same idea. It's the idea of presence, not escapism, presence with resistance, carrying God's kingdom with you wherever you go instead of assimilating to ungodly kingdoms. So a a significantly large part of this sabbatical is not only to recognize the sin and brokenness within me, but also to recognize how I might be assimilating to Babylon and not even be aware of it in ways that I might be assimilating to the ungodly culture that we all live in. Because again, Christians, the Christian lives every day of their life in exile. Guys, we're citizens of an eternal kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, yet we live among ungodly kingdoms. And hear me, if we don't resist it, we will assimilate to it. Now, it doesn't take an expert to look around for more than two minutes to start to identify some of these ungodly, worldly customs, cultures. It's not the kingdom of God. I mean, we're in America, man. It's like the materialism capital of the world. Materialism, materialism is when stuff holds more value to you than it should. The house and it might not be the house that you have. It might be the house that you don't have, that you want. The car. It might not be the car that you have. It might be the car that you don't have that you want. The clothes, the toys, right? If we don't resist it, we'll assimilate to it. Greed. Greed. It's interesting. Uh, greed is one of those things. It's so dangerous because nobody thinks they're greedy. It's one of those sins that if you just, you're totally blind to it. You wouldn't even know. It's so funny. Uh, um, a friend of mine sent me, uh, just for some, he wanted some counsel. He sent, they sent out a church survey. So all to their entire membership, just kind of getting a pulse on how people are doing post-COVID and stuff. And one of the, uh, one of the line items was, uh, one of the things they asked is like, which of these kind of like eight to 10 um, areas of sin do you feel like you're struggling with the most at this time? Do you know what scored last Greed. Yeah, theory is, is proven, right? What greed is, is it's the selfish desire for more. It's the selfish desire for more. For whatever reason, I think people think that the opposite of greed is like generosity. Generosity is wonderful. That's not the opposite of greed. The opposite of greed is contentment. Because greed is it's the selfish desire for more. And if, you're all, if, you're, if you have this selfish desire for more, then that literally means you're not content with what you have. It's a dangerous place to be. It's really a sad place to be because you're always let down. 
discontentment and greed go, greed go hand in hand. If we don't resist it, we will assimilate to it. All right, how about vanity? You look around, it's everywhere. We're the selfie culture. Youth, you guys know what I'm talking about. What's the first three letters of selfie? Self. I put up four fingers and I said three. <laughs> guys, don't, don't be like me when you grow up. Shows you, shows you how badly we need the sabbatical. No, but you get the point. You know what I'm saying. Self, 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 self. What vanity is, it's pride in your appearance or your achievements. If we don't resist it, we'll assimilate to it. How about this one? Overwork. Anybody in the room? That one poke you a little bit. Overwork. If we don't resist it, we'll assimilate to it. Here's a big one, a big one here in the valley, overscheduling. Like when you overschedule, it literally means you eliminate your margin. <laughs> like no margin for God, no margin for living his way. Listen, if we don't resist it, we will assimilate to it. This is one that I think is unique in this hour, uh, and that's nationalism. Here's what nationalism is. It's when the kingdom of America becomes synonymous with the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about uh, being grateful for the freedoms and liberties that we have as being Americans. That's beautiful. There should be a certain level of gratitude in our hearts to, to be citizens of this great country, legitimately. There's things about it that aren't so great too. Nationalism, when the kingdom of America becomes synonymous with the kingdom of God, if we don't resist it, we'll assimilate to it. And the list goes on and on and on and on, and on okay? Ungodly culture around us. Will you guys go back to slide three for me quick? It's the recognized one. I told you I'd spend more time on this one than the rest, and I was right. In order to resist assimilating to ungodly culture, we first have to recognize it, Right? You gotta become aware of it. So my desire is to recognize the sin and brokenness in me that I might not be aware of, the seaweed, right? And to recognize any ways that I might be assimilating to the ungodly culture around me. Recognize, right? Because again, hear me, to assimilate to an ungodly culture is to forfeit the kingdom of God in my life. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my wife. I don't want that for my kids, for my household. And I don't want that for any of you. So recognize sin within and around me, but most importantly with this recognized piece, most importantly, recognizing God's grace that covers me. God's grace that empowers me to live differently, right? That empowers me to actually desire differently, to want different things. So when ungodly culture comes there and it's very enticing, it's tempting, it's like the best food, the best wine, where I have the strength and the power and the discernment from God to restrict myself in order to protect myself from assimilating to an ungodly culture. You with me? Yeah. Okay. All right, and like I said, the, the, the goal here is, is the kingdom of God, not Babylon. Does that make sense? You guys get this? Recognizing it, inside, outside, all around me. And this recognized piece, it literally catalyzes into this next R, 
which is repent. Repent. So after recognizing to then reorient my life back to God and his ways. The goal here is, is, a, is a reordering. It's a, it's a restructuring of our life as necessary. I don't anticipate there's gonna be any gnarly things. One of the things that's really important about our church is that we really believe the church is a family, which means we're known. So legitimately, I would say that I'm known. If there was anything that was scandalously terrible, like, oh my gosh, DEFCON 4 sin in my life, there'd already be people who would highlight me. So I don't anticipate there being um, any massive things, although all sin is really dangerous. But God's already started to highlight stuff for me, guys. I'm going off a tangent, but listen, you need to know this. God's already started to show me where like there's entitlement in my heart. He's already starting to show me how like I don't consider my wife and my kids as much as he would have me to. That's what I'm talking about. A restructuring, a, 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 a reorientation here. My life back to God and his ways, okay? Now, this is super practical. This idea of repentance, it's, it's, it's both heart and hands. So it's, it's, it's taking responsibility, it's turning away from sin internally, but it's also, there's action involved with repentance, right? So it's, for, in our case, I think it's gonna look like installing some new practices, um, some new rhythms to orient me and my family around God and his desires for us. Hear me, both for our well-being and for your well-being and for the church, for the well-being of the church. Guys, listen to me. We really desire to serve you well. We really desire to love you well. Primarily because Jesus is worth it. And hear me, so are you. So in our hearts and our minds, the stakes are kind of high here because Jesus is worth it and so are you. And then finally here, uh, slide nine, that fourth R um, is rejoice. It's, I mean, this is simple. This is enjoying God and his grace. Rejoicing, joy in him and his grace. Super simple, right? But hear me, none of us spend enough time actually doing it probably because we're overscheduled, probably because we're overworked, probably because busyness has crept in, probably because we've assimilated to Babylon in those ways a little too much. That's just the theory. The goal here is, again, simple. It's just to take pleasure in God and his blessings, yes, but to primarily take pleasure in him. Do you know what this is? This is essentially the joy of friendship with God. Listen, we talk about the gospel a lot here, like the reality that who God is and what he's done has so many massive implications on every single area of our life. The good news that God put on flesh in the person of Jesus, like lived perfectly, performed perfectly as our substitute. And then he, he, offers us, he offers us that perfect record, his perfect re- record in exchange for trusting in him. That's called justification, right? Not only did he live the perfect life in our place, but he died, he, the substitutionary death on the cross, absorbing all of God's wrath for every single sin that we've committed, every single way that we've rejected God in his ways, every single way that we have not loved him and have not loved others. 
His life and his death and his resurrection, the good news of what that means for us in every single area of our life, in your work, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your marriage, in your money, in your time, in all of it. We talk about the gospel a lot. We want to be a community centered on the gospel. Our church is literally made up, the organizing structure of our church is made up of gospel communities. Yes, well done. Super, super loud, guys. You're so, just, wow, incredible. You guys are fired up this morning. The, the primary organizing structure of our church is literally gospel communities. Communities that aren't or, like oriented around the same hobbies or the same stage of life. We all love to play basketball. We all have the same age kids. We're all married or we're all single. We're all old or we're all young. Or we're all, no. Oriented around the gospel of Jesus. That's the sun in our solar system. We talk about it a lot. We want to be centered on the gospel. Hear me. Do you know what the outcome of trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ is? Freedom, yes. But hear me. It's friendship with God. Friendship with God restored. You know how many people are starving for friendship? I bet, just even statistically, the majority of the room, most of you sitting here, your heart and soul is, is like thirsting for deep, meaningful, true friendship. Guys, can I just remind you of the gospel for a moment? The gospel says that no matter your condition, like no matter how weary you are or tired you are, no matter how broken you are, listen to me, no matter how guilty you are, the gospel says that God is a friend to sinners. Jesus bled for sinners. Jesus died for sinners. And Jesus rose for sinners. Like me. And like you. So, rest, recognize, Repent and rejoice. That's what my family and I will be giving ourselves to this summer. Um, I just want to mention one more thing. I'll call the band up really quick if you guys want to come back up. Um, so many of you have been so supportive in this. Um, like this wasn't even our idea. It says a lot about the ways that God has, um, I don't know, the way that the family that he's built, not just here, but in our family of churches. Um, Herrick and the staff and the leaders have been like so wonderful. Many of you guys have encouraged me and Ebb, like all the gospel communities, we've had time and talked about this. I just want to tell you, um, thank you so much for caring enough about us. Um, leadership in general can be a really like lonely thing and I just want you to know how much how grateful we are for you and how grateful we are to not just like lead this family but to belong to this family uh, we love you very much thank you for that um, the band has already mutinied <laughs> they've, already, they've already quit no I'm kidding guys you're good Okay, I'm going to close with this. Will you throw up slide 10 for me? 
Uh, it's just kind of the review slide, I think. Yeah, there it is. There it is, okay. Those last two verses. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's the focus this summer. That's what the sabbatical is all about, okay? Question for you this morning. What if my family wasn't alone? And what I mean by that is, what if my family wasn't alone in doing some version of this this summer? What if this summer you were intentional about pursuing these four R's? Even if it's one day, maybe it's if it's your summer vacation, maybe if it's a couple weeks, maybe it's if it's in partnership with your gospel community. What if you were intentional with this? Intentional about pursuing, resting, recognizing, repenting, and rejoicing. What if you were intentional at resting, right? To regain your strength and your awareness of God. What if you were intentional at recognizing, right? The brokenness and the sin within you, like the seaweed, and the brokenness and sin of the ungodly culture around you that you might just be assimilating to in certain ways. And most importantly, what if you were intentional at recognizing the reality of God's redeeming grace to deliver you from it all? Always available to you. His mercies are new every morning. What if you were intentional at repenting? Repenting to, to reorient your life back to God and his ways. As David says in this Psalm, the everlasting way. And finally, what if you were intentional at rejoicing? Like intentional at rejoicing to actually enjoy friendship with God, to take pleasure in him and his kingdom. Just to put it simply, that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my family, my household. And it's equally my prayer for all of you. I love you guys very much. Let's pray. God, we need your help. Most of us in the room, if, if maybe dare I say none of us in the room are experts on living the human life your way. We need your help. There's a, there's a very strong current all around us that would pull us in different directions, tempting us to assimilate to Babylon. We were not created for Babylon. We were created for the kingdom of heaven. Not just eternally, but 
but presently. And so my prayer, we've been going through Matthew, right? The king and his kingdom, investigating the kingdom of God. Would you do a deposit in us this summer? Every single one of us, every household, every human heart, every man, every woman, every child. Would you deposit in us a greater awareness of what you are inviting us into, not just eternally, but presently. God, we love you. We need you. We're grateful for the invitation. We're grateful for the grace, the, the, the everlasting open arms of our heavenly father inviting us into so much more. I pray, I pray, I just feel led to pray for anybody in the room right now who's feeling kind of beat up. Maybe they, they, they've been thinking about some of the ways in their life that, um, that aren't necessarily um, the way that they would want them to be. I pray that the beauty and the glory of your gospel of grace and forgiveness and mercy and love and kindness and faithfulness would minister to their heart and it would free them to approach life with you ruling, with you reigning, you as king, enjoying all the benefits and the pleasures and the privileges of what it means to be a child of God in your kingdom. Lead us in the everlasting way, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. All right, will you guys stand with me if you're able? The band's gonna minister to us. I wanna encourage you with something. If God started to kind of speak to your heart in a little bit and in some specific ways of some of the things that he might be um, uh, inviting you into, I want to encourage you, uh, open your heart as the band leads us. Praise and prayer. That's what's going to take place right now. Um, if we could have maybe the prayer team make their way to the side of the room, that would be wonderful. There's going to be trusted men and women over here on the side of the room uh, that are making themselves available to pray for you. If God's highlighted anything in your life, maybe good things, maybe challenging things, whatever it is, uh, let him continue the work of leading you and shepherding you and fathering you and guiding you through his hands and his feet as church. Okay, no one can do it alone. There's gonna be prayer available. The band's gonna minister to us. It's an opportunity to praise God for his goodness, seek him for guidance and direction, and to frankly enjoy, even maybe now, friendship with God. All right? And then Herrick will come up and pastor us and close us. All right? Love you guys very much. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. And we thank you that your son, Jesus, came. He lived a perfect life for us. And he gave up his life so that we might have life and friendship with you. And that we might receive a new identity. And that we might receive a whole that you had actually planned for us in the beginning that was lost and forfeited in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. So that we might get it all back and more. Life with you a people to belong to, purpose, meaning. I thank you for all these things. These are gifts that we could never earn, that you're pleased to give them to us in your son. We're grateful for this morning, and we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, I'm gonna call Tom and Eb up here in a minute. And the girls. Uh, but first, I just want to mention something really quickly. 
I had a conversation, I think about five years ago. That was one of the, one of the hardest conversations of my life. And it was one of those conversations where someone who's wiser, further along than me, had feedback for me on my own life and character. And there were several things that this person shared. And the things that they shared were things I needed to hear. It's not things I really wanted to hear. Sort of like getting uh, blood work or going to the doctor for the physical. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is a little high. This is, oh, You know, like if you've ever had one of those situations. That was 2021 for me at the, my yearly physical. But, um, but it was like, kind of like that. I was like, oh. And one of the things that, that I was told was, it's time to learn to separate your identity from your performance. Learn to separate your identity from your performance, which was profound to me. Very simple uh, concept, but actually really, really difficult to work out. If you've ever, uh, if that's part of your journey, I think it's probably something that in this day and age is really important for every disciple to actually think through and consider how God might be leading us to separate our identity from our performance, from what we do. And I just want to just take a minute just to honor you guys, because this is a separate your identity from performance kind of move, kind of move. Slurring my words. I'm fine, I promise. <laughs> uh, Tom and Ebony planted this church. Obviously not alone. We did this in a team. Many of you guys were here for the, at the beginning and were part of that. But you can't do this without separating your identity from your performance. Because for three months, they're not even going to be able to hear about what's happening here. And if you can imagine what that's like, if you start something and then for three months, you're like, I can't know anything about it. It requires some, it requires a miracle of God in this age, in the Babylon that we find ourselves in. So I just want to take a minute just to honor you guys. I really do think this is a faith move. And yeah, just want to just recognize it. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I'm going to call you guys up. Eb, I think you have something that you want to share with the church. So I'll call you up and then we're going to pray for you guys afterwards. So come on up, Eb. already know I'm emotional. <laughs> uh, wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, so this is not forever, but man, do I love and cherish every time I get with you guys. That's one thing um, I know I don't take for granted is not every day has to be a birthday celebration in order to love and appreciate those in front of us. So this is just like, think of this as like a little love letter. Um, just was placed on my heart, like 1.30 last night, <laughs> wanting to have words, and I just felt like God just gave me words and just what I felt um, wanting for each of you guys um, during the summer. So dear church family, you love each other well. Don't stop. Don't forget to consider each other and always, please always fight to give your brother and or sister the benefit of the doubt. Consider putting yourself in their shoes. They are a gift from God to you. 
If you ever feel discouraged, pray. Pray to your heavenly Father first and reach out to others. We weren't meant to carry life's burdens on our own or in isolation. Then pray and keep praying. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So seek him relentlessly. Please remember all that he's done for you. Those of you that call Restored Church home, your place here is not by chance. He has called you here and he has been calling you into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. First and foremost, he is patient. He is faithful in the waiting. He is using this body of believers, for better or worse, to reveal his kingship in and through your life. He is Lord, and he will not let anyone take his rightful place, loving and caring for you most of all. Don't cling to the things of this earth or the flesh. Cling to him instead. Be open-minded and open-handed to what he may be calling you into this season. He, Jesus, is king of the universe. He is far greater, far wiser than you could ever imagine. Oddly enough, I didn't know Tom was going to be using that verse today, so there's overlay. He formed you in your mother's womb. He created your heart. He knows your heart and what will bring you joy better than you do. Trust him. He is trustworthy with it all. Nothing is too small or too big for him. He loves you best. I'm going to say that again. He loves you best. You are his treasure. May you not forget his unfathomable love for you. And lastly, we love you. We cherish you, and we will miss you dearly. So this isn't a goodbye. This is a see you later. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Evan. We're going to pray for them. If you're new, we do this uh, every so often during the gathering. We have, we have about 15 minutes um, of child care left, so we're going we're gonna to burn it praying for you guys. Uh, if I can have Heidi come on up here, Heidi will be praying over the logs. And then I just want to invite you to come on up if you're comfortable. And we're going to surround them. If you guys just come in here in the middle, be careful with the uh, candles. Sometimes we sing that we want God's fire to fall down, not literally, it's metaphorical. Yep. Father's Day is coming up soon. 
the dad jokes. Okay, so Heidi, we'll be praying. So if you guys want to come on up, if you're comfortable, come on up. If not, that's totally fine. And a big part of why we're doing this, why we're, we're bringing everybody together, is because we want them to feel surrounded. Surrounded by the love of God, surrounded by his protection, his peace, his grace, his mercy. And ultimately, how do we know his love and mercy? It's through his people, his representatives in the world. And so we are surrounding you guys right now. You're not alone. Okay, Heidi. join me. Father, first, I just want to honor your good plan for the Lokes. This is something that's so countercultural. They're taking a break, not because there is major sin or burnout or something to hide, but rather because it's your good plan to restore them, to breathe fresh life into them. And I got a picture earlier. I've already prayed it twice today. Let's go for a third, but... I got a picture of the end of a wedding reception when the bride and groom run out through a tunnel of all their friends and um, just that picture of us sending them out with joy, um, knowing they are going to rest, to reconnect, all the hours. Father, we just pray that you would bless this time, that you would protect them. Protect Amelia and Vivian. Ebony and Tom. We want to send them out knowing that you are faithful, that you are good, and that while this is so different than what culture says, it says keep pushing, keep going, um, we know that it's from you, and we can trust you with this time. So Father, protection over them blessings on them, and we praise you in advance for all the ways that you are going to show up every day. Thank you for these beautiful people that have poured into us time and time again. These are my friends. Let me just pray that you would honor this time. Let me send them out with your grace. In your name we pray. Oaks, we love you. Enjoy your summer. <laughs> you guys can grab a seat real quick. We'll do a soft close here in a moment. Thank you, friends. Logues, we do want to honor you in the step of faith. For, number one, for the sacrifices that you've made. None of us would be here if it wasn't for the ways in which you've exercised your faith in Jesus over the last 16 years and allowed him to lead you into difficult 
uncertain, painful transitions and change. And this is a difficult transition as well. And he's been with you all the way through, and he'll be with you in this now, and I'm confident of that. So we love you. For everybody else, uh, we're going we're gonna to do a soft close. We still have about 10 minutes. If you have kids, all we ask is that you please pick them up by, by 12 o'clock. Um, but we have a few minutes. So if you want to go get prayer, um, we'll be up here. If, you want, if, you, if anything that we talked about today was kind of stirring something up, if you feel like you want prayer, we would love to pray for you. If there's people in the room that you need to talk to, feel free to do that. If you just got to go because you're hungry and you got lunch plans, you can go do that. But I want you to enjoy the next 10 minutes as much as you're able to. And obviously, if you want to come and just encourage the Logs, can I just encourage you to do that? <laughs> just love them and, uh, and bless them. So soft close. Please grab your kids uh, at 12 o'clock in 10 minutes. We love you, church. Enjoy. Enjoy.